At the end of the day, the businesses that grow in any industry, it's the best sales and marketing organization that wins, period. Welcome, closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season three on profit. I'm your host, Jordan Wayla, and every week I interview world class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage 100 units or 1,000, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I am bringing on Scott Brady, the owner of Progressive Property Management, which manages over 500 properties in Southern California. He's also a real estate manager that has developed an interesting non-traditional expansion model that uses real estate agents to manage properties. In today's episode, you're going to learn about Scott's unique approach to property management, how this strategy helps his company get ahead, and see what of that you can apply to yourself. The truth is, Scott's model is novel. It's different. Take it or leave it. What's interesting is how Scott thinks about and approaches the business. It's the mind share that I value in what he's doing. That's why I brought him on the show. Welcome to the show, Scott. Good to be here, Jordan. Thank you. So let's start from square one. How'd you get into property management? I probably got in the same way a lot of people did is that I, uh, I've been in the business since about 97, became a top realtor, was selling about 50, 60 homes a year. Then I thought, gee, the way to riches is to own a real estate company. So I joined with Coal Banker as a franchise. And at probably the peak, we had about 80 to 100 agents. And then, of course, the recession happened. And I decided that this had been my second recession. And um, I'd be a fool to go into another recession not prepared. I sit on different boards. CAR, California Association of Realtors, my local board. I go to a lot of retreats. And I just looked at real estate as being in arguably dire straits in the next 20 years. And I thought, well, property management. That, that's what I need to do. Of course, I talked to brokers I knew and trusted, and pretty much every single one said, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that's a terrible decision. Just do what you do well, be a top realtor again, ha- hire more agents, you know, you'll do fine. And I just didn't think that was a, a reliable choice looking ahead 20 years. So it was about 2012, after two or three years, people telling me, no, 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 that I, I started uh, to get into property management. So you, you lowered yourself, you condescended to get into property management. When you got into it, what was the playbook that you were planning on running? Because the model that you currently run, the expansion model with real estate agents that we're going to talk about, that's a really interesting concept. But is that where you started or did you start with the traditional portfolio-based management like most companies? Where I am now is really just a series of pivots. Uh, so no, I started with the traditional model. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing or how to do it. Nobody would help me. I wasn't. I didn't join NARPM, and so I was just in my little uh, my little you know bunker by myself. And I probably made made every mistake in the book. Overspent. Um, it took me a year to get my first twenty doors, and I probably spent fifty thousand dollars. And then it took me another year to get to seventy doors, and I spent another. $50,000. And I realized after two or three years, this wasn't a very sustainable business model. Um, I was doing everything. If I had an assistant, I just realized that this was going to be, you know, I had interviewed a lot of companies and a lot of these companies were been in the business 20 years and managing 200 doors. And I just didn't want that business model. 
I kind of looked out and, you know, if I wait 20 years to get to 200 doors, I'll be dead. And that's just not how I roll anyway. It's kind of like, well, I want to do it a little differently. I've never gotten a business and done it the same way. And so, yeah, I definitely floundered horribly for the first two to three years. I didn't really start kind of getting my, my wits about me to about 2014, um, where I made probably my first major pivot, if you will. All right. Walk me through the first major pivot. Yeah, I, I was really, you know, ignorant. I assumed property management was like real estate that nobody managed their own properties. And I ran it to somebody I met through somebody else who said, uh, yeah, you know, whoever can get to the 80% will win. And I went, what are you talking about? What 80%? And he goes, well, the 80% of people who manage by owner. That was completely out of clear blue for me. I had no idea that was true. So I did what any good MBA student does. I said, well, if, is that true? I couldn't find any information from CAR or my resources. So I decided to send out surveys. I sent out at least a thousand surveys, random, to um, investment property owners locally. And I simply said, um, do you manage by owner? And if yes, why? And what would it take to have you hire a property management company? And um, 80% was correct, by the way. And what I found from those surveys is really how I totally changed my business. So that I was pursuing going to, as you probably say, the blue ocean, not the red ocean, we don't have investors in Southern California for the most part. The prices are too high. So you deal with buy owners for the most part, um, unless you're going after big multi-unit buildings, which I was not at that time. And so the survey said basically really four things that we don't trust you. We don't believe you. We don't like you. And you charge too much, you property management companies. And I said, well, that's sad. I said, so what, what would it take for you to hire a property management company? And by the way, I went out not as progressive property management but as the Brady Consulting Group. So it looked like I was in a neutral third party. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, st I still have the Brady Consulting Group. So what they said was, well, if we could believe you, if we could trust you, if we could like you, and if you've charged a fair price, I would be more inclined to use a property management company services. So that was a big pivot. I, I got rid of my website, got rid of my marketing, got rid of everything I was doing. And I said, well, let's become transparent so they can believe us. Let's offer really compelling uh, propos value propositions so they can um, trust us. Um, and then let's also provide stellar customer service. Let's make it a linchpin of the company so that they know that when they hire us, they can expect the same. And lastly, the biggest one was I priced as if I was managing 500 doors when I was managing 100. With the expectation that you'd be able to grow into that model. Yeah, now that I feel like I had I, I was resonating with the marketplace, I figured, okay, let's price it because that was important to them in my marketplace. And so I priced more aggressively. And since then, I offer different pricing plans. But that was the, the big, big pivot in about you know, 2014. And lo and behold, I started getting leads and calls. Uh, and, uh, and, and to explain my marketplace, I'm Southern California. I'm based in Orange County, which is about 3 million people. But we're not 10 minutes away from LA County, which is, I believe, 6 million people, 7 million people, and Riverside, which is a million people. So we have a very big geographic area. And I started kind of locally. But then the marketing started taking effect. I was getting leads pretty much, you know, all over Southern California. All right. So let's break this down. So for those of you listening at home, he talked about two things. First, asking, caring enough to assume that there's actually meaningful knowledge within the market that you don't currently possess. And secondarily, acting. Either of those things are things that a lot of people would dismiss, right? The assumption is the information is inside the house. I need to read more books. I know the business. I'm the expert. What does the consumer know? 
Secondarily, though, repivoting around what you heard, that's not something that's specific to property management. Had you already had a similar experience on the real estate side of things of trying to re- reorient in a deeper way around the customer expectations? Because that obviously that concept transcends residential property management. Correct. Yeah. And and that's actually happening right now in real estate. Real estate is becoming uh, the land of the liked, not the land of the experts. And if you're not pivoting in that space right now, you're going to be out of business very soon. So it was for me, it wasn't a matter of choice. I was, uh, it was either grow the company or kill the company. Um, After two years, the real estate market was picking up again. I could go back to being old Scott Brady and selling 60 homes a year or bringing in another 40 or 50 agents and suffering through their, you know, non-productivity, which it was. And I, I really had to do it in order to stay in the business. And I realized there was, at that time, now I'm, I am part of NARPM. I love going to NARPM conferences and your growth summit. But at the time, you know, there was nobody, there was no literature out there. There was no help. There's no book on how to build a profitable property management business from A to Z. There still isn't that book, by the way. And so you kind of have to learn through the school of hard knocks unless you join NARPM and your local chapter, and then they do reach out a little bit. But I will tell you, I, I said so the other day, is that I'm glad I didn't discover NARPM until 2016 because I already had my business model and I was less affected by the conference and doing what everybody else was doing. I was kind of already set in my ways and I could still use some of the software, of course, and systems and people like you lead simple, but I wasn't a slave to the standard way of doing business. The herd mentality. Yeah, sure. That's going to be the case in any industry. So this first pivot happens, wanting to radically worry around the customer expectations. It's what everybody needs to do. It's really where you live or die. What was the next pivot or turning point after that? I still had a bunch of agents, about 20 agents at the time, and I'm starting to get these leads all over the place. And I realized it was not cost effective for my staff to get in a car to drive you know, 45 miles away, which in Southern California can be an hour and a half, an hour and a half back would be their entire day. But I didn't want to throw the leads away. So I had realtors who lived all over the place. And I said, well, man, if I can do this, maybe they can do it. And I said, I'm going to let you do property management because once again, maybe a Southern California thing, 50% of the realtors, these are people who pay $1,000 to $1,500 a month to be, call themselves a realtor, don't do a single deal in a year. A, a top producer in our marketplace will do maybe three or four or five transactions. That's a good producing realtor. And so I had a bunch of realtors suffering. They were not selling real estate. They wanted to stay in real estate. And I thought, well, maybe we can do something for them and go back, go back to where real estate used to be. Real estate used to be the broker provided leads to their agents and they paid a, a healthy split for that privilege, but everybody was happy. And so I figured, well, let's kind of go back to that and I can then help them in property management, train them, uh, give them the sales uh, ability, do the operations, but then they can create stable income in these areas. And that's really the genesis of about 2014 of letting realtors in my office do property management in their, their respective areas. All right. What's the, what's the splits? What's the actual economic model? So this is kind of throwing darts at a board. I had to try it a few times to see what worked. And I, I kind of looked at what my cost for operations were, were at the time. It still runs about, about per door, it runs about $20. And, and now, of course, the other side of it doesn't cost me any money. So I did a 65-35 split on management income. Um, and then we, on the, the real estate, splits different, of course. So we can be anywhere from 90-10 to 80-20. So they, they do the uh, owner and tenant issues. They do the lease-ups. And then we do all the back office and training. Got it. So the average real estate agent that is doing this has never done property management prior to this, correct? That's correct. Never. 
Got it. So what about training, ramp up, quality? Yeah. So what we find is agents who sell two or three homes a year, no real estate. They can do a leasing contract. They can put on a multiple listing service. They know how to negotiate a lease. They already have owner abilities. They know how to interact with owners. They deal with buyers so they can deal with tenants. So they kind of know the business. The only thing they really don't know are the laws, of course, and be the software. We happen to use that folio. It could be any software. If they got it, and this is the hardest thing about this business model, because now we add agents every month, is you know if they do too much business, this isn't attractive. You know, As I say, the property management business is the nickel business. It's the dime business. Real estate's the dollar business. So if you're selling 10 to 20 homes a year and making 100 to 200,000 a year, you don't want to do property management. It's beneath you. And if you're doing zero deals a year, you're just not competent. You don't have those skill sets I just mentioned. So there's sort of a happy medium. There's somebody who's doing three to five deals a year, who's got the time, who's got the ability, who gets it, who understands that this could be a way to really survive and not just survive, but thrive in any real estate market. Because if you're managing, I've got a guy now managing 100 doors, he's going to get five, $6,000 a month in steady income. The other nice thing about it is I, one of my frustrations about the real estate business is that in California, they're independent contractors. So if a shop opens up across the street and they got a better coffee maker or they've got a better split or whatever, your entire office can walk out the front door and your business is worth zero, nothing. Once they buy into this program, if you will, they don't ever leave because I keep the doors. Um, they get hooked on the stable income and, and they can still sell real estate. So it worked out you know, way after the fact. I didn't know at the time, but it turned out to me to be the perfect business model for that angst I always had about your realtors you know, coming in asking for a better split because they can get that down the street. Now, the inverse side of things, how do they feel about the mothership and the back office services? Do, they, do you ever get any pushback? Are they in the weeds about their expectations towards the quality of the back office service support? No, it's key that we, I, I always say I judge them on two things, compliance and customer service. And they judge me on the same thing. So our customer service and operations is high. Uh, we provide high level. I mean, I think that the testament to that is one of the surprises of this business model, which I discovered to a year or two years later, is if you look at my Yelp reviews from my branch, we manage 350 doors, right? They're good. You know, they're four out of five stars. But I had some staff that didn't, you know, didn't show the love and, you know, weren't as kind as others. If you look at my branches, which I think we've got about eight branch Yelp reviews, they're all five stars not one four-star review. Because if they get it, they, they see these owners as being a future listing. And you can manage 30 doors really well. You can manage 50 doors really well. You get to 150, your day can get busy. And so I find we don't give them too many doors to manage. Their, their happy point is 50 to 100, but then they're very happy. Got it. And they're hooked. hooked. They can still have the opportunity to have the big listing, to land the big luxury property, the chase the dream, right? Exactly. That's true. But their nut is covered. And so the offsetting activity to supplement them is not working at Nordstrom's. It's within the realm of real estate. So the synergy is tight. Yeah. You're not an Uber driver that has nothing to do with real estate. And also on a kind of philosophical angle, which I've learned is when I got into real estate 20 years ago... Monday was office day. Tuesday was caravan day. Wednesday was preview day. Thursday was whatever. There was something every single day for you to do. Training day, Thursday, whatever. Most real estate companies, there's some exceptions, you know, Tuesday could be Sunday, could be Friday, could be, there, there's no structure anymore. I guess brokers like that, but I find agents are lost. They don't have purpose. There's no structure to their life. And so, but if you're managing 30 doors, that's 60 tenants, that's 30 owners. 
you're engaged. You've got something to do on a Monday morning. And I feel it also gives structure, purpose, and it gives um, it gives meaning uh, to a lot of these agents. Some of the agents who've come on board with me were lost. And now they have absolute directed and they would take a bullet from me at this point. Is 65-35 the right number? I don't know. I love 50-50. Um, but that seems to be the right number for me. But anybody out there listening, if you can, if you can get 50-50 and your agents are thrilled, do 50-50. How does the branding work? Are all of these progressive branches? Yeah. So in California, I have my corporation, which is Progressive Property Management, Inc. And then I DBA under that real estate company. So I have Partners Real Estate Group. And we're starting now another real estate company, Progressive Realty Group. And that's perfect. So we, you actually have two business cards. You have your Partners Real Estate Group card and you have your Progressive Property Management card. So that when you go to a listing interview, you're not a you're not a property manager. When you go to a property management meeting, you're not a realtor. You're you you can do both. Got it. So back to the splits. Are they bringing in these doors themselves? Are you giving them to them? Do the splits differ? So the only thing that differs. So that was my last big pivot. We can talk about that. And that was really about a year after that. So about 2014 or I guess 15. So I was sending these realtors, uh, these realtors as branch managers, we call them up to manage properties. And I said, great, I'm going to give you all the marketing tools, all the things you need to go out there and get doors. You just got to pay me money and I'll send out the marketing material and I'll do the Google ads, whatever it might be. And here's what I found after about nine months to a year, they wouldn't spend the money. Just flat out wouldn't spend the money. I, no just, doubt. I get it. Makes yeah, sense. <laughs> yeah. Realtors are like, you know what? They just want to sit there and have the phone ring. And I said, it doesn't work that way. So I decided to then tell you what, I trust my system. I know it works. So I, I centralized all the marketing. And then once I convert a lead to a door, then we sell that door to the individual agent. And we found that they were happy to pay me four months management income for a door, but wouldn't spend $400 to, to do marketing. They just wouldn't do it. And so they're happy and I'm happy. And so they can either buy a door from us. And we, our goal is to add about 30 doors a month. So, you know, hopefully each one's buying one or two doors a month. Um, we're now at 700 doors, by the way, not, not 500 uh, just this year. So, or they can find a door. And the example I can give you on that, I hired an agent up in Pasadena. And her first door is that she knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. And he was building a 27-unit building, new construction in the city of Pasadena. And once completed, the rents were about $80,000 a month. And she's charging whatever, 5%. So her first door created revenue for her $2,800 a month. And she didn't buy that to me. She found it. So part of what I look at this business model as being is that right now I have about 15 branch managers. I have 15 business development managers. And I want them to go out there and add their own doors through their own efforts because they don't have to pay me. That benefits them or they can buy doors from me. So the split remains the same. The only difference is if you feed them the door, there's a one-time fee. That's correct. Totally makes sense that they wouldn't want to spend money because in general, small business owners tend to underweight. They have no sense of the intrinsic value of what it is they're paying for. And the perceived perception of potential loss of that money spent on marketing outweighs the potential game. You obviously are thinking completely different about this. You're exploiting the Delta. Talk to me about how running that, that game is going. In the markets that you're in, Southern California, I'm imagining rents are fairly high. What is your average revenue per door ballpark? So we, we average about, the goal is about 100 bucks per door per month on just management fee. We have other fees you know, that we charge tenants and owners, but that's the base fee. And that's about right in our marketplace where they're collecting about per door, their income is about $65 a door on base management fee, where they make most of their money, where they're really excited is the tenant acquisition fee. 
So typically in Southern California, you're charging anywhere from 35 to 50% for a tenant acquisition fee. And they keep on that one with me, uh, most of them are keeping a 90% of that tenant acquisition fee. So that's where the big bump is for them. So the 4X multiple that was that you described to purchase the door, that's roughly $400 based on $100 a month that you just quoted? That is correct. Exactly. All right. So then flip side, customer acquisition cost. What are you doing for lead gen? What is your per channel CAC? Walk me through all that. Yeah. So um, on the lead gen side, so my goal is to be zero sum marketing. That's the goal. The goal is I spend 10000 and I sell 30 doors and I get back Uh, We've been a little short of that. So my uh, acquisition costs running about $200 a door. So I'm spending 10 and I'm actually netting out. It's costing me about five right now. We're dumping a lot of money to SEO though right now for each of our branches, redoing my website to be super video friendly. Growth Summit, thank you. We're being very aggressive. We still do direct mail, but not as much. We do geek marketing. So probably we're receiving monthly about 60 leads a month through all our different sources, all our different channels. And we're closing right now anywhere between 30 to 50% of those, depending on the month. And then we turn around and sell those doors to all the agents. What would you estimate your customer acquisition cost is? Well, net. So spending 10000 to get, you know, depending on how many doors, right? So we're spending approximately about gross. We're spending about 400 net about 200 after I sell the door. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So it's, it's working. This is a viable machine you can run for some time. Well, the, the ultimate goal is to be zero sum, right? So spend 10000 sell 30 then why not spend 50000 to sell 150 right? The idea is we're, we'll talk about our trends in our state. We're walking into a California renter state. Uh, we're walking into, um, I would say, probably the best market ever for property management uh, in the history of California. We're looking at possible statewide rent control, just cause eviction, all this kind of stuff. So right now I'm really trying to build the machine, the infrastructure to absorb those doors that will be coming down the pike in the next two to four years. So the zero-sum marketing thing you described, that sounds fantastic to essentially have a time to pay back of zero. But realistically, most companies don't, and that's fine. The, the, t- the existing time to pay back that you described is still pretty speedy. So that's what I mean by saying that the existing model is sustainable. So yeah. you're doing both. If you were just running this playbook, this, this kind of different novel agent-based playbook, then maybe the idea might be that you're just overly biased and you're just, you're just pumping this thing because it's it's the one pony that you have. But you have both sides of the business. What kind of growth are you seeing on the, the existing portfolio that you're managing in the traditional side versus in this agent-based model? Yeah, so my main office is now 350 doors. And it's it's the retail branch. It's the, you know, the, the original branch. And the goal for that branch is to add 10 doors a month. So if we're adding an average of 20 to 25, we're still keeping about half to a third in-house. And, and for my traditional branch where I have two property managers and the, no- the normal kind of thing. And then the other piece I've just added, um, so I do seminars throughout Southern California to realtors. And you wouldn't be surprised, it's called How to Build a Profitable Property Management Business. And we bring them in. And I just had one on Friday with about 40 agents. And of course, at the end of that, they realize they can't build their own profitable property management business. It's too complicated. It's too expensive. It's too difficult. Might as well just come work for me. Those seminars is what drives in the agents that then I can sell the doors to in these outlying areas. So the I have this that model. And then some of those agents, you wouldn't be surprised to hear, manage their own properties. 30, 40, 50 properties illegally, usually. They haven't told their broker, usually. So what I have been doing, or legally, they're, they're a prop, small property management company. So we just started sort of a wholesale division 
where I will either DBA their property management company under my company, or they'll just get absorbed in. And then once again, they deal with owner and tenant issues and we just do the back office. We just do the 35%. Got it. And so is there any kind of an optimization opportunity if they're doing it illegally or at least kind of under the radar presumably they're doing it less than professionally. Are you able to say, hey, when when you basically fold in and roll in your portfolio to what we're doing, we can optimize your revenue per door via XYZ practices? Is that part of the sell? It's part of the sell. That once they get frustrated, because if they keep their name, we're not going to sell them doors. We're not going to do the front end, the training, any of that stuff. But if they fold it in under a company, of course, then they become a part of our universe. And then, of course, we'll not only sell them doors, we'll help them add their own doors, find their own doors in the marketplace. Uh, we just added 60 doors that way. And so it's sort of an experiment. But in our marketplace, there are just a lot of these people out there managing 10, 20, 50 doors. They don't want to sell their portfolio. They want to hang on to it. They want to hang on to the income or the relationships with the owners. That's fine. We'll just do the back office for them. All right, let's go back to customer acquisition cost, which the customer acquisition cost and the volume that you're operating at, in my mind, that's working. What I'm hearing is that you're able to drive a decent level of leads and your time to pay back is pretty quick. So you mentioned a couple of those different channels. Is there one channel that's more dominant? Is it like five channels, but the bulk of the leads are coming from one channel? What's the breakout? So the breakout is Google Ads. We use Geek Marketing. We'll eventually wean ourselves off Geek because I understand the negatives on Geek is that they're getting the juice. We're not getting the juice. So eventually the plan is to replace Geek with our own Google Ad Marketing campaign. But we do use Geek and that probably generates 40 leads a month. We still do direct mail. I'll drop about 8,000 pieces. At, once again, it generates about 20 leads a month. And then the other piece we do is Yelp. We spend about $500 to $1,000 on Yelp. That generates about five doors a month or so. And then the last piece would be um, local landlord seminars. So I'm a big believer in at least every two months having a seminar with uh, local investment property owners. And that generates for us a good number of doors as well. Do you partner with anybody on those seminars? So the local landlord seminar is very basic. It's super simple. Everybody should do it in their marketplace and become the expert. All we do is uh, send a direct mail out piece to local investment property owners, inviting them to a free seminar for three hours. We bring in an uh, insurance guy, a lender, of course, bring in our plumber. You can bring in an attorney, if you will. And then in that three hours, we tell them, if you're managing your own property, you're in the property management business. And the whole effort for three hours is to have them discover they don't know what they don't know. We give them a quiz where they fail, of course, on all the laws. And then we talk about insurance situations. We talk about how to find the best tenant, all these different things for three hours. And um, we generally get 40 to 50 people in the room. Generally from that, I'll add about you know five to 10 doors. But then the rest go in the database. And I'll guarantee you when they need a property manager, we're going to be that company because we've shown them that kindness and the love. And we gave them the tools to be a better property manager. It cost me maybe $1,000 to put it on. And uh, my vendors will kick me back 500 so it's a net cost of $500. By far the most cost-effective way to add doors. Where is the $1,000 going? Direct mail um, is really the only piece. I'll do it in a local area, an office, and then we also provide a lunch, which costs another you know, 50 bucks. Where do you get the list for direct mail from? So I know that California is different on this. Um, so we have title companies here. And that at no cost, they give us all the offsite owners. So I can at any time, I have a list right now of a million investment property owners in Southern California. And I, I, I can get that anytime I want. So I know there are other list companies out there doing that, at least in Southern California, or I believe all of California, that's a freebie from the title companies. Very easy to secure. You seem abnormally 
into managing all of this stuff. My gripe with most property management companies and small businesses in general is that they operationalize service, making the widget the good. Sales and marketing is like this little kind of side novelty thing that is done when it's necessary just in order to to get the leads. What kind of infrastructure do you have to be able to run these kind of campaigns? My job here at this company is to add doors, add agents, and add investors. We are actively looking at investors and buying property and fix and flipping, that kind of stuff. But I have a business development manager, and her job is take all the leads, convert the leads to doors, and sell the doors to our agents, and then also provide training for them, assistance, help them through the first few doors as they kind of get their feet wet, You know, answer any questions they might have. So that I have a business development manager. That's all her only job is to do that. And really, if you we're managing 700 doors. I have a front desk person, I have an operations manager, I have a business development manager, and that's really it. Um, I've got two property managers at my in my office for the 350 doors, and then I have 15 branch managers. So we're managing 700 doors with really arguably three staff members. Do you ever throttle growth based on ability to onboard? Like turn growth down? No, I would never do it. We can, with the number of branches we've got, we could easily add 50 to 60 doors a month. It's just not that hard to do it because the branch managers are doing all the legwork, doing the lease ups, doing the meetings and all that kind of good stuff. So one of the nice things about the business model, the really two nice things about the business model, and once again, I only know Southern California, is I can have virtual branches throughout Southern California, meaning I tell the Bureau of Real Estate, I have a branch in Rancho Cucamonga. I really don't have a branch of Rancho Cucamonga. I got a guy in his jammies with, you know, in his socks sitting at his office. But to the world, it looks like I have a branch. To Yelp, it looks like I have a branch. To Google, it looks like I have a branch. And I can put those all around. Rather having bricks and mortar, which I only have one bricks and mortar branch. And that's where I'm sitting right now. And so the benefit is I can run really lean and put everything back into marketing. You know, my goal in the short term is to be the biggest property management company in Southern California that doesn't need to make a profit. If I want to, I can make a profit. Um, real estate's free to me. So real estate now is gravy and the property management business here now is what really pays for everything and it pays for the marketing. My goal is if we were to be up another $2,000 next month, I'd spend another $2,000 on marketing. As these agents are getting desperate, we have a terrible real estate market, not enough sales, too many agents, much gnashing of teeth. So the time is now to do these seminars and add agents and sell them on the dream, sell them on income stability before rent control happens, before the recession happens, before all that, because then it's just, you're too busy to to be doing all that kind of stuff. All right, so let's talk about just following this train of thought. A lot of what I'm hearing, particularly on the lead gen side of things and never turning off the lead gen, that's real estate 101. So when I think about my background with real estate education, whether it be Keller Williams or whoever, the essence of the mega agent philosophy in large part is never turn off lead gen no matter what. That is the capacity constraint that you obey. You obey the lead gen and the growth side of things, not the other way around of turning it on and off and basically treating like a part-time kind of mess. That said, as you're leaning into that and as you're talking about growth, a lot of people hear that and it's like, wow, another one of these growth at all costs guy, don't make any money. Scott, this is my lifestyle. I'm, I'm doing this so that I can send my kids to college, have a nice, a nice lifestyle, etc. Walk me through how you think about all that. Well, it'd be tough to do if you didn't have a real estate side of the business, right? So these realtors, I'm, I'm trying to hire judiciously so they sell as well. And that's really what pays the bills around here. Uh, and of course, I sell real estate. Um, I sell doors we manage. I sell multi-unit. So my own income's in there too. But I, I, I believe what Steve Murray said is true. 
uh, that either you've got to be super niche and small, and there's no shame in that. There's no shame in managing 150 and 200 doors and charging 8% and with fees and making a nice living. But no man's land in the future, particularly Southern California, is going to be 500 to 1,000 doors. There are going to be some big players. When they see that over 300,000 doors need to be managed in Southern California, there are going to be some players that see, see opportunity in that. So I'd rather be there first. I can always ramp it down when the recession hits or the phone's ringing off the hook and we just got to put a sign over the front door. That's not the market run right now. You've got to spend money to add doors in Southern California. I don't know about the rest of the country, but if you're not spending money, you're not adding doors, you're losing doors right now, right? Because the market's so hot, people are selling their rental properties and trying to extract all their income out of that. So I get it. And there's a time and a place in order to then start really you know, taking out the money, but not, not right now. If you're adding 30 doors a month, why not at 50? It's my job is to get the word out to all these people who are self-managing that this is madness and there's a better way. And that time for that's now, not later. Do you believe that there's a window of time to really go after market share? Talk to me about what the vision looks like at scale, though. What is the end game? Is it 1,000 doors? Is it 2,000 doors, 3,000 doors? Where do you see this train going in, let's say, five years for you to define this playbook as achieving success? I think this is the next big viable uh, business model for real estate and property management. Uh, There is no reason why we don't have 100 agent branches throughout all of California, allowing agents to earn stable income and sell real estate as well. Uh, There's no reason why we're not managing 50,000 doors, uh, that we don't have operations center both in San Diego, Orange County, LA, Sacramento. There's no reason why this business can't be a real viable business model for realtors and property managers and, and the fusion of the two worlds. For too long, there's been this, this you know, property management was the redheaded stepchild of real estate. You know, I, I see our, the future is uh, really the Australian business model. In Australia, as you may know, I talked to the Harcourts people, the margins in real estate are so bad because they're on an auction model where the total commission is typically 2.5% or 2.1% that Harcourts, the biggest real estate company, manages 80,000 doors. That business model, I think, is probably what it's going to look like in um, in the United States. So I think California might be the first one to adopt that business model. And I'm okay being the first one to go streaking the quad. So this is interesting. So what you're saying is in terms of first principles, you don't see any reason that this cannot scale to a significant degree. You don't have a, a near-term end game of saying you want to get to 1,500 doors and then flip the portfolio. No, absolutely not. When I see the lives I'm changing – the realtors that were lost and now have something to do. Um, when I see the staff that's earning a great living and love what they're doing, because I call this business model, it's kind of the in and out business model, um, in and out burger business model. You start at the fry machine, but end up as a, as a branch manager in you know, uh, South Orange County. You can go from making $12 an hour to making six figures and, and be on your own time when you want to do it. When I go to these seminars and see people, you know, their eyes light up with opportunity, I think it's uh, life-changing. And I don't know why we want to stop stop one more life. I, I think this is a model that gives me great joy to know that I, I can't be run out of town by a new business model. Matter of fact, I'm going to run other people out of town with my business model. Um, so no, stopping a thousand doors seems uh, seems foolish to me. Stopping a five thousand doors seems kind of silly too. And also think of the number of doors, Jordan. We've got a, mil- a million and a half rental properties in Southern California, a million of which being ma- managed by owner. Why would you stop at a thousand and walk away from the nine hundred ninety nine thousand? I just think that there's too much opportunity to do that and too much fun doing what I'm doing. 
So the observation that I'm making here is that you can look at the existing paradigm and say, basically reasoning by analogy, we need to think of it in terms of the existing known types of management companies. You're saying, I don't really care about that. Philosophically, principally, is there any reason that we can't scale this model? Your answer to that is no. When you think about the growth, though, you're positioning yourself around this relationship with the property manager. And the truth is, there's all kinds of ancillary revenue opportunities, ancillary businesses. Talk to me about your your view on the strategic positioning for other either current or potential future ancillary businesses that can be plugged into this, this asset, this nut that you're building. Yeah. So once again, this is Southern California. My next my next business I'm going to build is a uh, an escrow company. I've owned them before. Profit margins run thirty percent. So all your agents use your escrow company. You can own title business in Southern California. We already own a maintenance company, so it feeds a maintenance company. It, there's this all these other if if you revenue streams that are out there. Insurance, of course. To me, the key I have what I have to do is build an unassailable brand. Um, I've got to build something that nobody else. All of us have to create a barrier to entry to what, what you're doing. And that's what I'm trying to do on a daily basis. So if some, anybody out there who sees this, so I want to do what Brady does, have at it. it. It only took me you know, five years to get here and spend the money I did to do it and come up with the marketing I've got. But I do believe as an industry, we should embrace this. If you're managing in Austin and there's a community that's 45 minutes away, why don't you have a virtual branch there with a, with a branch manager who's you know, providing revenue to you both in management income, late fee income, tenant income, uh, leasing income, of course, management income, and then on top of it, real estate income. To me, that's a, just a logical move. So some of the nuts and bolts of actually doing that, the virtual branch, you're saying that Yelp and Google consider it a real physical branch. That's a pretty big deal. How are you actually getting that done? Well, I, I, have, I have people. So they, they just call, they, Google sends a, a card to your address and you just confirm it with a, a code. Uh, Yelp does the same thing. They just confirm that it's a, it's a physical location. That's all they care about. Private residence makes no difference. No difference. No difference. And you put on your website. So it's there as well. Now we SEO it on our website. So now we get the SEO love because it's, it's an actual physical branch. To us, in our marketplace, it makes no difference whether it's a bricks and mortar or somebody's uh, you know, condo. Let's go back to quality because I just feel like that's going to be an ongoing hangup for somebody thinking about getting into this. How do you QA the boots on the ground activities? Yeah, so the most critical part of this is definitely the branch manager, the quality of the branch manager. And I have found to date for every five we hire and we'll test out with a door or two, one, one really has the, the wherewithal to, to keep in it and do it properly. So we're getting better at the selection process, motivation, how much do you sell, what do you see your future? Because in the end, you've got to be, you know, we're the get rich slow business, not the get rich quick business. And you've got to make sure they realize that, you know, they're not going to also become a branch manager and have 30 doors. Um, I could, if I wanted to, start selling doors to certain places. I'm doing that right now. We just opened a branch in Long Beach. I had a lot of doors there. We just kind of picked up and I'm going to sell him 30 doors day one. So that's a kind of a unique you know, situation. And I think also it's really important to know if they leave, I get the doors back. They don't get to take the doors with them. And I just had something where I had, I resold the doors that somebody left the company. They got moved out of state. I just resold those doors to somebody else, I, interestingly. And long-term, you ask a long-term, if my branch manager in Riverside, North Riverside, he manages 100 doors, soon to be 150, if he decided to leave the business, I might open a branch there, a physical bricks-and-mortar branch, and that you know now I've already you know positive cash flow day one, right? So yeah, you got to pick the right agents and have to go through that process. On the training side, we go through, they, they go through a week of training, uh, shadowing our operations, shadowing our my property managers. We do quarterly meetings. 
I find the ones that get it, get it very quickly though. After one or two doors, they've got it. If they've been selling real estate relatively well, they know customer service. They know to answer the phone, be communicative. They, you know, all we got to do is teach them the laws. I think property management is complicated in some ways. If you're running a company, very simple in other ways. Everybody who's worked at this company has never done property management before. Every person I've hired, you know, come in a little dinged and dented. We put a little bondo on them. We fix them up. We slap a paint job on there. Graduate, you're a property manager, you know, and it, and, and they te- learn our culture and how we do business. I, I get people from hotel business, amazing, amazing people from the hotel business. But the branch managers is agents that sell, you know, certain age, you know, they're kind of like 40 to 50. They've been the business five to 10 years. They've been selling three to five homes a year and they're not attached to their brand. Do they feel like that they are a part of the progressive organization or machine? Do they ever see each other? Do you do like any kind of uh, ongoing team group exercises or anything like that? What about cohesiveness of culture? Yeah. So right now, not great. So we have two annual meet parties a year, you know, the holiday party and we do a summer party. Um, and they come in all the time for different things. They come in to drop off paperwork or see us. And we always, you know, have lunch with them. That's something we've got to do better. Just what we're doing right here. This is something we should be doing. Um, I tried to do an intranet, you know, within the company didn't work. Nobody adopted it. So I had to get rid of that. So we haven't quite found the perfect tool to create that company culture, but it hasn't been because it is a wide geographic area. I mean, from my, my person to South Riverside to here, that's a, at least an hour and a half ride one direction with traffic. So uh, right now it's they buy in and once they start getting doors and they, and really also I think they're dealing with the operations side, they do with my operations manager constantly. That kind of creates the love. What I kind of like about the system, it's mutually dependent. I depend on them to provide great customer service and do the right thing with tenants and owners and follow the law. And if they don't, of course they call us if they don't know what the answer is. And they depend on us to process properly and take care of the clients in the back end. So it really is mutually dependent relationship, which isn't so much true in real estate anymore. You know, you hire a realtor, you just hope they sell well, and they they begrudge your split, you begrudge their split. There's this a tense, tense standoff, right, in the industry. Uh, they don't begrudge our 35%. I don't begrudge their 65 They appreciate what I do, and I appreciate what they do. So there really is a mutual appreciation going on within the company. Well, I really love the doggedness of your determination. So when you describe this model, it's it's easy to think like, wow, this must have fallen into your lap or you found some secret. But when you say things like you're finding that one in five of these relationships is actually viable, that's a grinder. Now, clearly, it's it's worked out and it's worthwhile, but you're putting quite a bit of effort into actually getting to the point where you're making it work. Now, granted, that's not the same thing as hiring five full-time employees and having only one of them then work out. When in terms of expanding this model, do you have, is it still constrained by geography? Meaning, do you have anybody in San Francisco? How, how far have you pushed it? Yeah, so we, you definitely have to have bricks and mortar and operations center within, you know, I would say within certainly 30 miles of your branch managers. So if we, the next push for us is LA, which is a huge market. So we would open a bricks and mortar and say Pasadena area, whatever that can reach you know, South Central, it can reach the Valley, it can reach San Gabriel, it can reach San Bernardino, because tenants do want to come into your office and drop off stuff or whatever they got to do. So eventually, you're going to have to have a bricks and mortar for every, you know, 10 branch managers for every, I think the number is for every 300 doors, you need, you need to have a bricks and mortar. And then that bricks and mortar also does property management, though. So if I do a bricks and mortar in, say, Pasadena, then we're also going to start doing property management in that area and build a retail branch there as well. 
So we would do both. Like quickest way to do that is just inherit the doors from an agent who leaves for some reason. But you know, I don't have that luxury. So yeah, I think Sacramento will have to have bricks and mortar. You're going to have to have it close to your ten branch manager so they can come in for the culture, for the training, for the uh, you know, just for the everyday work we do in property management. So how will you actually do that if you build a bricks and mortar in Pasadena? Are you going to wait until you have some prior traction, or I mean, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing, right? With this model, yeah. So Pasadena to Pasadena, I'll definitely grow it organically. I think for Sacramento, I'm going to have to find a property management company. So I'm, I'm starting to kick around acquisitions, starting to send the feelers out on other property management companies. I uh, think definitely up there, if somebody believed in the vision, I don't know if it's joint venture, if it's an acquisition, whatever it might look like, but there's no reason why this wouldn't work in Sacramento. Um, I just have to find a like-minded property manager. Now, what about terms of an acquisition? If you were to sell Progressive, would you be able to cleanly sell all those contracts or would there be any kind of a liquidity or exit event for the agent? No, we have all the contracts, uh, all, the con- all the branch managers sign a a very lengthy uh, legal document uh, about the relationship. I have first right refusal on all the doors or anybody who buys me. So they, uh, they, the answer is no. There's no issue on that. Wow! 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 So you really, this, there's just a lot of opportunism here. I think the way that some of us might look at this opportunity is asking ourselves: Would I go for that arrangement? Would that be attractive to me? But that's not necessarily the the best way to look at it. It's circumstantial to the individuals for that person who has some part-time side income. They have some entrepreneurial hustle, but it's a grind. It's not quite working. I can see the attraction of what you're offering, even if it comes with those pretty significant stipulations. If people are willing to to go for it, more power power to them. The pushback I get is um, I don't want to get into real estate. I don't know that world. I know property management. I don't want to you know, these realtors are going to sell homes. I don't want to deal with that, which seems bizarre to me. I mean, I, I think probably you would know 20 to 30% of our property management companies sell real estate, right? They sell their own, they, they do both. It's got to be a, yeah, a good percentage. So you, if you're not in it, you should be, you've got a huge competitive advantage over all your real estate competitors. I mean, you know, real estate for you is gravy. Um, I'm kicking around doing a reduced cost real estate company. Why not? I can more and more agents aren't going for a brand or broker. They're going to a business model. So if you've got a business model that makes sense, people are abandoning brand left and right right now in our marketplace because it's not what matters anymore. All that matters is the agent, not the company or the or the broker. So if you've got a better business model, you could communicate that properly. These realtor seminars are fun because you you tell them what our business is about. And if you're 40 even there and forget it, that's great. That's a pretty good conversion rate in my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting distinction between real estate and property management. On the property management side of things, it functions like most businesses do, where at, at, at least with any modicum of scale, there is a, a brand name that you lead with. Whereas on the real estate side of things, even for the large teams, it still is the Dave Thomas real estate team. It's tied to that individual which frankly is hard to scale. And I think there's that is at least part of what is caught up in the fact that a real estate business ceases to be a business when you try and sell it. And you find out that, you know, best case scenario, your EBITDA multiple is like a 2x or something even lower than that. No, real estate companies right now have no value. I mean, I, if you, and I think Steve Murray mentioned it at the uh, broker owner. Right now, real estate companies almost have no value. The disruptors are disrupting. The Australian model could be the reality, which is an auction type model. The margins are razor thin. Agents have no, you know, they don't, they'll go wherever the, be- the best deal is for them. I do seminars all the time. And I'll ask 100 realtors in the room, how many of you think the way real estate is bought and sold will look the same way in 10 years as it is today? 
not one hand goes up. So if you knew that, you knew that the industry's in dire straits and it's certainly going to be totally different in 10 years. What, what are you doing today to, to prepare for that? And property management companies, we're talking to them. If you know in California, we got a renter state coming, we've got more and more people who aren't going to manage by owner, and then you're stuck in your mom and pop one location and you don't appeal to somebody 30 miles away or 20 miles away because you're not, you're not local, what are you doing about that? And either you're spending money to build bricks and mortar um, or you can do it virtually. And once again, all state laws are different, but um, it's certainly more cost effective to do it virtually. So let's go back to this idea that Steve Murray presented at Broker Owner talking about there being an opportunity for going for scale or doing the boutique thing. We noticed in the benchmarking study that we did that there were definitely cyclical cycles of infrastructure investment where profit goes down and then being able to harvest the benefit from that profit going up. And that cycle can happen at multiple stages of the overall business growth. When you come into contact with these conversations around growth with property management companies, what goes through your mind on this specific level? Growth can feel like a little bit of a guilt trip, right? Like, of course, you should grow. Everybody should grow bigger, bigger, more and more, more doors. And for a lot of the smaller operators that don't have that skill set, it's really easy to kind of poo-poo or look down on that or have a story like, well, yeah, you can scale, but you're not going to make any money. There's no profit at scale. What is your sincere counsel and advice for your average mom and pop operator somewhere between two and 300 doors? They're listening to my podcast. Maybe they went to PM Grow. They're attracted to this idea of growth, but maybe they're not fully in touch with the realities of it. What's your advice and counsel to them? As far as I know, when people value your business, they're valuing all your income streams. They're not, and if you're just a one-trick pony, you're a property management company, then you're possibly at risk of a competitor or a down market, whatever it might be. By having multiple income streams, by having multiple virtual branches, by having multiple channels, retail, uh, virtual, and wholesale, you're far more appealing to investors. And I find that adding doors solves all problems. It makes my agents happy. It makes my branches happy. It makes my operations group happy. When the phone doesn't ring, I get absolutely apoplectic. You know, that's my job to make the phones ring. Growth to me solves a lot of problems. Yes, do you sacrifice profitability for growth? That may be. But as you said, at some point, you can turn the spigot off, um, particularly when you hit recessions or there's a you know, a fundamental change in the marketplace, which is going to happen in my marketplace here very soon with rent control. I'm absolutely sacrificing profit to build a bitter, bigger machine, a bigger, a bigger infrastructure to absorb far more doors in the future. I remember when I was only 300 doors, if we added 10 doors in a month, there was like, oh my God, we we're maxed out, you know, it was crazy busy. Um, there's no reason why we can't add 50 doors in a single month, 100 doors in a month. And why would we turn those doors away if they're good doors, particularly now more multifamily? So there's no sin. And being a 200-door manager, um, but I think there's far more opportunity in managing 2,000 doors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of the segmentation in that conversation is really helpful. Like, for example, when you're looking at a company that is really aggressively growing, you can look at profitability before sales and marketing, right? You can back out some of these investments that are reflective of specific business priorities, whether that be the lifestyle route or growth at all costs, there's additional nuance in that, in that conversation. That's part of what we attempted to explore in the benchmarking study. 
Well, we're getting close to our time here. I have a final question for you, and that is this. If you could go back and rewind the clock to, let's say, five years ago when you're early on in this adventure, what is the one piece of advice that you would have done everything within your power to get your former self to have fully embraced and believed? Probably at the time, I wasn't aware of it, and but now, of course, I am, is I'm embracing video. And I believe uh, the future of our industry the future of every industry is they've got to like you before they trust you, before they do business with you. And if you do a good job of having them like you, it doesn't matter how many doors you manage. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the business. Um, when I got in the business and people would call with a lead, they say, how many doors you manage? I say, you know, four, you know, how long have you been in the business? You know, like a year, you know, good luck, you know, but if they said, you know, I like you, I love the way you do business. I love everything about you. Who cares about how many years? What we are finding on the real estate side, you know, my top realtors, have very little, you know, when say experience, they're not top, they haven't been around 20 years, they don't have degrees, they haven't sold a billion homes, but they're selling 40 homes a year because the community likes them, likes their videos, likes what they put out there. So if I would, I would day one have decided how, what I want to be when I grow up and regardless of 200 doors or 2000 doors, make sure the community likes me. The easiest way, of course, is the video. You guys played that Founders Brewer Brewing video, or Marcus Herodin did. And that was, to me, very life-changing. That's, you know, so I think day one, building your brand around having people like you, knowing, finding out who you want to like, and make sure they like you back. Mutual attraction. That's, the I think, the most compelling value proposition of all, is when I like you and you like me, what's going to get in the way of us? How long have I been in the business? You know, no, who, who's going to care? So I think day one, and then really... You know, listening to blogs. I didn't listen to podcasts or uh, this type of stuff until two years ago. To pick and choose, to listen to Jordan, to listen to Alex, to listen to Brad Larson, whoever it might be, and 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 just absorb and say, okay, you know, take in what somebody's doing and may what I do may not work for somebody in Austin, but it might be perfect for somebody in Sarasota, and 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 decide what you want to be, what you enjoy doing. Uh, I love all these branch managers. I love giving them an opportunity to make a living in real estate and in property management. I love the fact that we have five-star reviews. I love all that. But if you don't love branch managers and you don't love managing people and you don't want to do that, don't do it. You know, just, you know, you know what it entails when you've got 15 branch managers. So I love problem solving, you know, and, and so all that, if you, if that's, if you love what I love, then run with it, you know, run with this uh, business model. So the, the nut of what stood out to me there was just eschewing the lie that if you build it, they will come. No, I made that mistake. (laughs) The truth is nobody cares. You're the same as everybody else. There's 30 other guys saying the same thing that you're saying and quality and service is not enough. Get off that train, be like Scott Brady, embrace the soft side of the business and operationalize sales marketing, fundamentally believe that it cares and learn to fall into that constraint. At the end of the day, the businesses that grow in any industry, it's the best sales and marketing organization that wins, period. I don't care what organization, uh, what industry you're in. That's my takeaway from this interview. Scott, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. If folks would like to get in touch with you, find out more about what you and your company are up to, what's the best place for them to go? Probably my email. I'm up at five in the morning every day checking email. It's my name, Scott Brady, 1963, the year I was born, by the way, at gmail.com. So if they email me and if they want to do the local landlord seminar, um, that's run through the property management mastermind through Brad Larson. They can take a look at it. That's the easy baby step anybody can make in any market is reaching out to your local investment property owners and saying, 
I love you. What can I do for you? How can I help you? You know, become their property manager before they even need a property manager. And you'll learn so much and you'll grow so much and it costs you so little. And you, in, in, on top, you might even get business from it. But that's an easy baby step to make rather than leaping all the way to uh, what I'm doing right now. I'm with you on that. My endorsement for that is not on the level of the strategy for lead gen. I'm sure it works for lead gen. The mental leap you got to get over is that doing that sort of thing is your job. If you're, if you believe that as an extension of your values, communication, reaching out to the market and being in touch with people is important, then get over the lead gen implications and just start embracing getting out in front of the market. I love that idea. Really accessible um, entry point. Appreciate you coming on the show, Scott. Let's stay in touch. Thanks. Thanks, Jordan. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Property Management Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback makes this a better show, and the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that you can find us online in the Profitable Property Management Facebook group, where we mastermind with the best in the industry.